The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, today our show is very fun because we're going to be speaking with a former Secret Service agent, and she actually was assigned to protect First Lady Uh, Nancy Reagan when she was alive and she had a very exciting career and I thought it would be interesting to talk about because privacy issues come up with the Secret Service and many people don't realize that the Secret Service helps to protect people from financial crimes as well as protecting uh, dignitaries uh, foreign people foreign uh, leaders that come over, and of course our president and our vice president and other people in uh, that need to be protected. So let me tell you a little bit about our wonderful guest who's coming to us from Iowa. Melanie Lenz became a Secret Service agent at the age of 22. She was one of the youngest female agents ever hired. And she spent her first eight years assigned to the chaotic Los Angeles field office where she worked fraud and intelligence investigations. This is the part of that I told you about is like financial crimes. And then in between that, she was protecting visiting foreign leaders and traveling around the country and abroad on protection assignments of America's leaders. She was then assigned to former First Lady Nancy Reagan's protection detail, where she remained until Nancy passed. As the only agent in the embalming room with Nancy Regan and the only female pallbearer at her private funeral, Melanie credits much of her life's learning with protecting the former First Lady. Melanie hopes her work and adventures um, and personal life uh, will encourage and empower women of all ages and bring some laughter as well. So she has a new book that'll be coming out and they're thinking that the name will be Agent Innocent, A Lady in the Secret Service. This should be coming out in 2019 in this beautiful new year. So your listeners can subscribe to her newsletter at melanielentz.com. That's M-E-L-A-N. I-E-L-E-N-T-Z.com, and we linked from privacypiracy.org to her website, so you can even go to our website at privacypiracy.org. So thank you, Melanie, for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to speaking with you. Yeah, so you were just a little babe at 22. What, what made you decide to become a Secret Service agent? 
Well, yeah, that's right. 22 is definitely um, the outlier age in my class. Uh, I was uh, in college in Riverside, California, so kind of near your neck of the woods, and really unsure of what I wanted to be when I grow up. I guess that's not really an uncommon thing when you're in college. And so I went to get my master's and in the process learned about the Secret Service um, and the agent hiring process through my grandpa, of all people. Uh, he had his buddy had a daughter who was an agent, and she had all these crazy, cool adventures. And she was also younger when she got hired and did not have a law enforcement or military background either, which I assumed was something I needed to have to do that job. So he kind of put that little bug in my ear, you know, Melanie, you're, you're smart, you're getting your master's degree, you were athletic in college, you know, that sort of thing. So when I downloaded that application and filled it out and turned it in, I really didn't think the agency was going to call me. I thought they would say, little girl, go get some life experience, you know, <laughs> nice try. I didn't, I didn't think that they would give me a chance. And I am very grateful that they did because um, – you know, one, one little application step at a time, I ended up passing things and, and started what turned out to be almost a 10-year-long adventure of life learning. And, and a lot of things I can look back on now and, and say, you know, I really became a grown-up when I became a Secret Service agent, which is something most people can't say. Exactly. So what do you think is the percentage of females to males in the Secret Service? What do you think? Right. Well, the Secret Service didn't start hiring female agents until the early 1970s. So female agents are still relatively new considering the agency was formed in the 1860s. Right. Um, but even today in 2019, the percentage is still close to 90% male and 10% female. Um, so those numbers have kind of stayed fairly consistent, um, but I think they're trying to, you know, uh, find more more female qualified female applicants and that sort of thing but yeah the number it's still it's still very much a male dominated occupation for sure interesting so what were the advantages and disadvantages of being young and female in the service right um you know people ask me if i noticed more um that people maybe were a little dismissive of me because of my gender or because of my age and i would say that it was more my age um I did not have the life experience and in training or even as you got into the field working um, fraud cases and stuff, I didn't have the law enforcement experience for search warrants and that sort of thing. So everything was brand new to me. So I kind of always felt like I was coming from behind a little bit, especially in the training process. But I found out as I started you know, working hard, I, I think my attitude from the get-go was to stay very trainable. Don't um, always learn. Don't you know, get a big head. Just always be learning. So I made that my, my motto of the whole training process. But I found as I became more proficient and I learned more that I had advantages in that I was young and I could blend in. So when we were doing fraud cases and stuff, uh, especially counterfeit currency, because the Secret Service was actually founded to combat counterfeit currency, right. I found that when we're doing surveillances for counterfeit currency, I was able to blend in a lot more than some of the guys that looked like they were, you know, still had the military haircuts and the cargo shorts and things that um, I was younger and could blend in. And on the flip side, on the protection side of things, I had, um, you know, because I looked so young and didn't really fit that typical mold, when, um, for instance, former second lady, Jill Biden, so former Vice President uh, Joe Biden's wife, came to Los Angeles one time, and she wanted to go running on the, the boardwalk near Santa Monica, 
and she just wanted it to be low-key before her speech and not the whole big gaggle of people. And we were able to put together a plan, um, and me and another young-looking agent were able to um, go running with Jill Biden on the beach and, and able of privacy that she wouldn't probably have gotten otherwise. So those kind of things. Um, you know, people say there's this, the woman's touch sometimes uh, during those tense situations in search warrants or when you're doing a suspect interview, that sort of thing. Sometimes um, I had more of a calming presence than some of the big burly dudes. So you've learned to find that your strengths, um, you're, you have strength. Everybody has a strength, and I brought something unique to the table because I was so young. Um, but a lot of it is just learning where your strengths are and, and finding those as you as you learn, always staying trainable and you figure it out. Hey, I'm good at this, but, you know, I need some more help with this, that kind of yeah. attitude. So did they, they taught you how to use a gun. You had to learn to, to use a gun as well, I would imagine, if you were in protection, right? Right, yes. Every Secret Service agent carries um, uh, their sidearm, their um, handgun on their hips. So, yeah, a lot of training with that um, at the academy. And we continued to train after. We had to, we call them qualifications. So you had to uh, go through these courses where you had to uh, shoot and pass, you know, with a passing score. And um, I think that's a, the key to success, really, is continuing your training. Once you pass the academy, you're not done. There's always learning to be done. But, but yes, they had definitely a lot of a lot of training with the, with the firearms and fighting, those kind of things that, you know, going into the academy, I'd never been in a, a fist fight in my life before. You know, I just wasn't that personality. I, 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 it just wasn't me. But, you know, I learned um, that first day in those mat rooms where we had the gloves on and I got punched in the face. I thought, well, you know what? You better start fighting back. You know, those those little things that the other uh, guys in the class had done before with the military and law enforcement was, was new to me. But you realize um, you learn a lot about yourself in a law enforcement academy when you don't have much life experience, that right. is for sure. <laughs> right, right. But you were motivated to do that, and you weren't afraid to do that. So that's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. So what, you know, uh, you were talking about the dual mission of the Secret Service. One is the investigation, financial crimes, and protecting our currency. And the other is really the protection of um, our dignitaries. And, um, and so what did you like best and why? Oh, I loved protection. Um, so when, when an agent gets out of training, they do both of those, you know, they work both of those missions. Um, you don't just go straight to the president's detail when you graduate from the academy. You go into the field, um, as we say, and there are field offices with the Secret Service all over the country. Um, and I was assigned to Los Angeles. So while I was in Los Angeles, um, in between those protection assignments, I would work um, bank fraud. I started in the bank fraud squad, so we worked a lot of treasury check cases back in 2007, 2008, um, when I first started. And then as you get a foreign dignitary that wants to come, say, to Disneyland, we had a lot of uh, foreign dignitaries come into town um, for the tourist part of California. So, um, And they are entitled to Secret Service protection when they're on U.S. soil. So the Los Angeles office was very busy with um, foreign dignitary protection. Uh, so I got a lot of protection experience um, working with them, which was great because a lot of times their schedules are, are a little chaotic. They see a lot of big, crowded places like Universal Studios and Disneyland. And so in between your, your working your financial crime cases, you're also working protection assignments as needed or traveling uh, if the president were to travel to Las Vegas or somewhere and they needed um, a lot of agents to come stand posts and fill the security plan. We would do that. So agents get a 
lot of field experience before they actually make that big move to D.C. to do the, the traditional, what we usually think of Secret Service agents as doing, that protecting the president and the vice president and stuff. Um, I found that I, I thought I would like the, the problem-solving part of investigations better. Um, when I first got out of the academy. I'm kind of one of those, you know, logical thinkers that likes to solve problems, and I thought that that's where I would um, be a good fit. But I found that I loved protection every bit as much as working cases because it was almost it was very similar. Um, if, uh, say, President, or, you know, former President Obama was coming into Los Angeles to go to the Ellen DeGeneres show or something, for instance, um, then I, I was assigned, let's say I was assigned to... Um, create the security plan for the show. So that meant I was kind of doing, I was plugging these security holes, creating a plan, that sort of stuff just, just I loved doing that and I loved creating those plans. And so that part um, I was definitely a, a much, uh, a good fit for because it was just something I enjoyed doing. So yeah, I loved protection, I guess, to answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> loved protection. <laughs> right. So we're sitting here on the campus of the University of California, Irvine. And I think nowadays, you know, women, uh, the millennials and those who are graduating college and stuff are, are looking at, you know, I can do anything that the men can do. So what advice would you give to the young women on our campus or the young men, you know, who want to get into a career with the Secret Service? I think, well, I think most agents will tell you that the first lesson you learn as an agent in the Secret Service is flexibility, <laughs> because uh, it's a very uh, demanding job, for sure. But that's more of a joke. We say, well, you know, if you make personal plans, they might get altered because of, of your work duties. But I think the advice I would give to young people, and I'm thinking specifically of college age, because I got hired at 22, straight out of college. And um, prior to that, I did not have a whole lot of life experience. And I think that I lacked a lot of self-awareness and self-respect, perhaps going into it, that I wish I had, but I learned within the agency. Um, I say I, when I made the difficult decision to leave the Secret Service in 2016 um, after Nancy Reagan passed away, I looked back and I realized I learned three really big things that I wish I knew coming out of college and going into the job. And the first one was about access control. Um, I think young people, everything is so exposed. Um, there's social media. You can find anybody anywhere. I mean, there's just right. everything is just out there these days, and, and more so every day, I feel like. It's harder to protect yourself. Right. And I, you know, I was trained to be a specialist in protecting others, right. but I, I, was, I failed miserably at doing it to myself. And I think that access control was something that the Secret Service uses every day, but something I did poorly in my own life, especially coming out of college. And I developed habits where I was a people pleaser. I never said no. I, I said yes to work and no to my family more often than not, thinking mm. that that was how life was going to be. Um, and in the end, I found myself in 2015 going through a divorce and, and a lot of things in my personal life falling apart. So mm. I say that, you know, in the Secret Service, access control is about knowing who needs access to your protectee, the president, vice president. And you have to know when access should be granted, denied, revoked, if it's already granted, and maybe limited. And I think with life, that was something that as a young person going into the agency, if I could have implemented those in my personal life a little bit better, um, 
going into my career in the working in the working world and protected myself a little bit better, that would have been something I wish I knew going out of it. And that's not just um, for becoming a Secret Service agent. I think in general, in life, if you you know, as you will go out into the real world after college, you, that that whole access control and protecting yourself is a big thing. That um, a delicate balance that we all need to kind of keep in mind. Um, the second thing I learned kind of going along the same lines, was about giving yourself a situation report. And Secret Service agents give situation reports or status updates to each other all the time. The motorcades are talking to your destination site, whether that's a speech, a rally, a hotel, wherever. Um, And you have to be honest about those situation updates, like, hey, you know, we've got, uh, you know, there's some traffic buildup or there was a car accident up ahead. You know, you have to be honest. Otherwise, if you arrive at that destination and it is a mess, it could have catastrophic consequences. And I think for me coming out of college, going straight into this very demanding job that just took over my life, I was very dishonest with myself and others about how I was handling a lot of the very difficult things involved with being a Secret Service agent. Um, Unfortunately, you do see kind of that dirtier side of people, the uglier side of life when you are interviewing somebody that wants to hurt your protectee or those kind of things. And I did not handle that well. I gave myself a very dishonest situation report, and that eventually caught up with me. That kind of negligence towards yourself, you know, it's sustainable for a long time. You can suppress a lot of things, diffuse a lot of things, but eventually you have to deal with what you're going through. And I wish back then I would have, you know, maybe it's a little bit of pride. You think as a woman in a male-dominated occupation, I have to be super tough, and I'm not allowed to show weakness, and I'm not allowed to be honest to say that, hey, this particular search warrant and what we had to deal with really bothered me. Instead, I did what all everybody else does and just suppress it and don't talk about it. Mm. So I'd say that um, honest situation reports and access control were two really big concepts the Secret Service uses every day that I wish I could have implemented in my life earlier in my career. So that's the second one. And then the third one had to do with Nancy Reagan, of all people, Um, and less about the Secret Service mission, but more about what I learned about her because I was with her the last year of her life. So not while um, Reagan was in office. She was in her 90s by then, a pretty slow, you know, non-traditional career path for a Secret Service agent. And when she passed away, it was pretty sudden. You know, she was older but in relatively good health. She went downhill very quickly, within a matter of days. And I didn't know that day in March 2016 when I got a call that, you know, got woken up to a phone call um, saying that Mrs. Reagan had passed away that – that would start a week of, of incredibly life-changing learning because mm. I wound up at the funeral home, which in general, when somebody passes, you contemplate life a lot. Um, and me being in an embalming room and, and that being just a very, not tra- I don't know if I would say traumatic, but a very difficult process and a very difficult couple of days, um, I learned more about Mrs. Reagan throughout that week than I ever did that whole time I was with her. Um, And that prompted me to think about legacy, not so much that morbid, like, what are people going to say at my funeral, but more, am I becoming who I always wanted to be? And am I proud of who I'm becoming? Am I going in a direction I want to go? And Mrs. Reagan's death, you know, it's not dramatic or, or exaggerating to say that changed my life because... I realized I didn't like where I was going. I was in the mm. middle of a divorce, very sad, very depressed, had lost sight of who I wanted to be, that 22-year-old girl that wanted to do something very meaningful with her life, something that mattered, found herself really falling apart in her early 30s and finding herself starting over. So 
you know, as I reflected back um, on all of that and thinking about who I wanted to be as a woman, I knew I needed to make some drastic changes, and unfortunately that meant leaving the Secret Service shortly after Mrs. Reagan died. But as I say, looking back, I, I would do it all over again because of what I learned, but as looking back, I wish I had... I wished as a young person coming out of college and going into the workforce that I had a better grasp on situation reports, being honest with myself, access control, knowing who needs to, you know, who I allow to influence me and control me, and always kind of giving myself those checkups. Am I going where I want to go? Am I becoming somebody I'm proud of? So as I look back now, I would, I would wish I would have known those things in college, especially for any, any occupation I would have gone into. Right. But you know, everything in life happens for a reason and there's no right. accidents. So for you, that was your way of learning it. I think when I right. look back in my life and I say, oh, if I only knew this when I was younger, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think we all do that. I mean, I, yeah, I, of <laughs> you know, and so, I mean, it's so beautiful that you learned this and that you have this insight and that you went through this to share with young people and to share with others. There's some people yeah. that live and learn, and then there's some people who just live and they don't learn. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the well, beauty. I definitely want to learn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, sometimes we, we can't just get out of college and then learn, you know, access control and situation awareness and legacy. We, we don't learn that. We have to learn that through our experience. So, I mean, it's beautiful that you learn that and you can share that, but I, I don't know if people can be as prepared for anything like that, you know? Right. I mean, yeah. when I, I look back on things in my life when I was young and I go, wow, if I only knew then what I know now, my whole life would be different, but it wasn't meant to be. So, right. so, but it's beautiful that you can look back and you can recognize that and you can share that with others so that other people can say, okay, I need access control. And I think you're right with social media, there is very little access control and being yes. aware. And all those are really, really good points that you can point out to people. But I think really and truly we all are on our journey right. of, of all of this, you know? So yeah. uh, what about, tell me about the funeral. What happened on that day? That must have been um, a really uh, poignant time in your life. Yes, definitely. So um, in March 2016, my uh the divorce was kind of still ongoing, um, was still very fresh, in other words. Um, so I was scared to death when I found out she had passed away. Obviously, it was a very sad time for all of us, but it was also one of those, well, what's going to be next for me? Because we all knew we were probably going to get transfer orders somewhere else. You know, we couldn't stay on Nancy Reagan's detail because right. that detail wasn't going to exist, you know, anymore. Right. Um, so for me, that whole week was just an emotional um, emotional wreck, really, Um you know, it started with the, the embalming room and that being a very, very tr uh, difficult couple days. Um, and then we had the, the private funeral, and then we drove um, Nancy Reagan's uh, um, in the hearse up to the Reagan Library, and I was driving the car behind the hearse that day with all the us agents. And I remember during that drive, there was people just lining the streets and, um, you know, with signs and, you know, we love you, Mrs. Reagan, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And everybody seemed to be on their phones. And I remember we commented on the way up there, like, how much are we missing? How much of our life do we miss because we're trying to memorialize it or capture it for later? 
you know, and realizing, uh, you know, we were talking about how, you know, you never know, life is short in general, but we just, sometimes we forget to, to live it in the moment. So that was one thing I remember very vividly driving that, that long drive from Santa Monica up to Simi Valley uh, to the Reagan Library. But during that funeral, the next couple of days um, were the viewings where the public could come and pay their respects. And then we had that big funeral that was televised. And I was standing in the back of the room at my post uh, near the press riser, and I started listening to all of those, um, all of the speakers come up and talk about this woman that I had been protecting for a while, but had, didn't really know very personally. And so I got to listen to um, former Canadian Prime Minister Brian Mulroney read a a letter that a love letter that Ronald Reagan had written to Nancy Reagan and I was mm. jealous like insanely jealous of their marriage because mm. I wished I had that kind of love but as I reflected later I realized you know some of the ways I went wrong in my own marriage and learning about this woman that regardless of any political opinions or affiliation scandals whatever Nancy Reagan was leaving behind a legacy of love. It was something that everybody talked about. Despite everything, she loved fiercely. And I just loved that about her mm. because I just didn't know her. And I thought, you know, then that's what prompted kind of that legacy thoughts in my head. You know, how do I want, what do I want people to think of when they think of me? Because I think right now all they see is workaholic and divorced and sad, you know. Mm. So that part is as I'm listening to this funeral. And then after the funeral, um, it started to rain that day. And um, everybody kind of filed out. And then they opened the Reagan mausoleum. And it was so, um, I don't know, it's just one of those moments that will be forever ingrained in my mind as they um, put Mr. Uh, Mrs. Reagan back um, in the mausoleum with Mr. Reagan. It was like their their final reunion together. Mm. And it was a a very, you know, just an emotional moment to be able to be there to witness it, you know, just that handful of people that were there for that moment. And it was so somber and it was so final. And I remember driving home from, I lived in the San Gabriel Valley, from Simi Valley down to the San Gabriel Valley, um, and really just kind of not melting down, but kind of like decompressing. All of those emotions just kind of came flooding mm -hmm. out of me. And that kind of prompted that, you know, no matter what happens, if I get a transfer order, um, on Monday, going somewhere else or whatever happens, I have to start making some changes in my life. I don't want to keep going down this this workaholic road of the person that just doesn't take care of herself or and and has lost sight of who she wanted to be. So, um, so that funeral was. I mean, that whole week was just a very emotional week. And um, you know, we like you said, we learn we we learn um, <laughs> as we go through life. We don't we don't come out of college knowing it all. Um, but for me, learning, I learned so much about life and who I wanted to be in such unique ways as such a young person. And I'm so grateful for those experiences. You know, I uh, I look back at the Secret Service and I say, you know, they gave a 22-year-old girl with no life experience a chance. And, and that definitely shaped, shaped who I'm becoming today, for sure. Yes, that's beautiful. So we only have a, another minute or so. So could you just say, what what hope do you have that people who listen to this and will read your book, that they have a takeaway? Is there just one thought that you really would like them to take away? Yes, I I learned as a very young woman how to protect other people. And I hope that in sharing my adventures and my lessons and some of those funny stories about just screwing up as a young new agent, that it will prompt young women and men, anybody, to 
think about protecting themselves as they go through life as well. You know, using those protection elements to say, you know, as I go through this life, there's going to be some trying times and there's going to be some great times. But I also need to know how to properly and appropriately protect myself along the way and check in with myself to make sure I'm doing that. So um, my hope is that that would be the takeaway and that we can laugh and cry and and learn together as we go. Um, I'm hoping that the the book will be out by the end of this year. Um, And your listeners can subscribe to my newsletter for all those updates on my website. It's melanielentz.com. It's M-E-L-A-N-I-E-L-E-N-T-Z.com. And sign up for the newsletter, and you can read some of the other articles I've had published recently and all that good stuff. So um, I look forward to hearing from you. There's a contact sheet as well, and I love getting email. All right. Well, Melanie, I'm sure it's, I can't wait to read your book when it comes out. And I, I love that you've had this incredible learning experience that you could share with us, especially for the college students that are here and for all of us, for the people driving by. We're all going through that awakening, hopefully, from the experiences that we have in life. So thank you so much. And we will have you back again. Okay. I would love to. Thank you for having me. Okay. Great. Bye bye. Bye bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at privacypiracy.org. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.